All right. Well, good morning. It's awesome to be back with you all in uh, kind of part two of three messages to come in this Overcome series. And so I uh, love being here at the bridge. And I know just kind of a quick observation is that uh, Pastor Dennis has never been more excited about the number eight than he ever has. Otherwise, that's a pretty awkward text this morning. We just want you to text your soul to 66666. Just, Maddie, could we not get a seven or something? Like, what is going on? Why are we not getting any messages? This is weird. Nobody wanted to do that. Who would have thought? Um, but last week, we talked about identity. And so, <clears throat> starting with this identity piece, when it comes to conflict and relationships, is so important to have our identity rooted and anchored in Christ and know where our value, worth, and dignity comes from. That it doesn't come from people, it doesn't come from relationships, it doesn't come from jobs, it doesn't come from the number of followers you have on social media, but it comes from Christ and Christ alone. And so it's that identity, which we had discussed of the characteristics that you are known and recognized by. So what characteristics or attributes are you known and recognized by? And so that identity piece is huge. And uh, I will say, you saw my family, we, had the th we got three kids. You do have to be careful with that identity because even sometimes an identity in Christ can be taken advantage of uh, by an eight-year-old. And so this was just uh, <clears throat> a while back. <clears throat> we were, I was just driving the kids, I think down, down the street to, it was all side streets, just down the street, like three blocks to Smart and Final. And our youngest daughter had crawled up into the front seat. And so it was really low-key. So I didn't really raise a fuss about it and was just going to drive down to Smart and Final with her there. And our 8-year-old was in the back seat. And she just kind of goes, Dad, uh, isn't she a little young to be in the front seat? And I was like, yeah, I mean, but we're just going like three blocks right down the road. I think it's going to be okay. She is. And then just kind of like a little pause, a silence. She goes, I thought you were a man of God. Wow. Pumped the brakes. I was like, Bella, you got to get in the back. Uh, sorry about that, but she knew how to get to me. Uh, and so then uh, just this identity piece, and even with relational uh, things that come up, is that a while back, I was cleaning. This is when we, we still had our van, and uh, so I went out there one day and realized the absolute magnitude of destruction that had happened in this minivan that, uh, that kids can do. And I'm like, how do people live like this? Like, how have they even been driving around all week in this van? And so I, I uh, resentfully cleaned it. And I say that because I came in and my wife saw me. And she goes, well, if you're not going to clean it with a cheerful heart, then just don't clean it at all. <laughs> and I was like, okay, challenge accepted. <laughs> I will turn my resentment into pride, and I will, I will go clean this thing cheerfully. I think only, like, I could, the only person I can imagine cleaning a, a horror, disgusting van cheerfully is just Pastor Dennis. And he's just like, we whistle while we work. He's just like picking up arms full of trash. Thank you for the joy of the Lord and the arrows. Children are like arrows in the quiver of a man of God. And then he just does this interpretive song about arrows, and he's just loving life. 
Um, and then our son, our son, it, our, our God put our son in charge of uh, developing more patience in me than any other human next to Jesus on this planet. So that's his specific role in this life. Now, so we start with this identity piece. And now we're getting into more of the, the conflict piece. And so we're going to start with understanding the spiritual nature of conflict. So really what I want to unpack for you today is the understanding the spiritual nature of conflict. Because oftentimes, again, people want to move very quickly to the kind of psychology hacks and the communication tricks. And they want to, you know, Google a blog post on the seven steps for handling and resolving conflict. But there's so much more that goes so much deeper. And then, rather than trying to put on seven strategies, you're, you're putting on the nature of Christ. And then it naturally flows out of that space. So I want to start with Ephesians chapter 6, and this is verse 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. That helps us understand the spiritual nature of conflict. When it says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. So again, putting on the God's armor so that you can stand firm against these strategies not of a boyfriend or girlfriend, not of a sibling, not the strategies of a spouse or the strategies of a co-worker, but the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So he's saying there, we're not fighting against people, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So in Ephesians, we're getting this word that our enemies are not flesh and blood. They're not fellow humans, but it's a spiritual battle. And that's part of this idea that the, the revelation that I had from this is that God gave us the gift of a common enemy in Satan. And so we have one enemy, not many. And if you can grasp that truth, that people are not your enemies. They're simply deceived by the enemy. Just as you have been just as you still likely could be, is that it provides some grace and some mercy and understanding that all of our people problems really are more spiritual problems and identity problems. Is that uh, Pastor uh, Dan Muller puts it this way when he said that if you think about the person that you have the biggest issues with in this world, and if that person started thinking, communicating, and behaving from a place of, from a place of Christ-likeness, all of your problems with them would immediately cease to exist. So the reason that they're having these behavioral problems is because of an identity problem. Is that if they actually understood their value, worth, and dignity wrapped up in Christ like we talked about last Sunday. If they actually knew who they were in Christ as sons and daughters of God. Called to walk in his glory and to obey his commands. And to take on the mind of Christ and the attitude of Christ then all of your problems with them would immediately cease to exist. The problem is that they don't get that. They don't understand that, and they've been deceived. And so what do they need? Do they need another person falling into deception and then uh, launching into conflict and bitterness and resentfulness and spitefulness and all of these things with them? No, they need a person of Christ. They need a son or a daughter of God that actually does understand their value to be able to walk in truth, to be able to stand firm, and to be able to lead them in, in God's ways. Because Christ gives us the, the secret to this. When he's on the cross, 
And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's saying they're deceived. They don't know who they are. They don't know who I am. They're acting crazy because they don't know even what they're doing. And if they did, if they had a father revelation, if they had a revelation of the son, if they understood the spiritual things that are going on here, they'd never be doing this. But they're deceived. So, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Their identity is confused. They have been deceived. So that's this this key element that you've got to be able to to understand with this. So in 2 Corinthians 11.3, it says this. And this is Paul writing and, and saying to the Corinthians, But I'm afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So when we fall into deception and we fall out of our identity in Christ and we, we begin to find our value, worth, and dignity in other places and we begin to, to be, become deceived by, other, by the enemy, then what happens is that we're led astray from our sincere and pure devotion from Christ. And it's the same thing where sin is described as falling short of the glory of God. So when we're deceived and we're acting out of a place of our human desires and sinfulness, we're losing our ability to walk in the pure devotion for Christ. And we're falling into the trap of others. This is why the three, three questions, we'll look at, get at this at the end. The three questions I always immediately have anytime I have a misunderstanding with somebody is, am I deceived? Are they deceived? Or are we both deceived? But it starts with me. Am I deceived? First, get the the, the log out of your own eye. Maybe there's something in me that's getting tripped up here. And maybe I've fallen for Satan's dangerous trap that we talked about last week, which was that Satan wants you to see things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. And am I falling into that? And then perhaps are they deceived? Where might they be getting tripped up and falling short? And perhaps we're both deceived. And we need to maybe bring in a third party to help us out here that's not and bring in some intervention. So the beauty of this, of having one common, common enemy and not many, is that you can wake up every single morning deeply in love with God, deeply in love with people, and pissed off at the devil. Some people want to be pissed off. And guess what? I got good news. You can be pissed off at the devil. And then, just like our brother shared that testimony, is that you get to go out and you get to crush hell for a living. You get to speak life into people. You get to see somebody walk that's just dreamt and and dreamed of walking. Because your identity is rooted. And you're walking at a different pace with a different level of intentionality than you ever have. So this idea, this understanding that the word says that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ came to give life and life abundantly. So just in that one verse, we get clear description of the nature of those two opposing forces. Is that the, the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ came to give life and life abundantly. So it, it clues us in to the two goals that I want you to understand when it comes to conflict. Is that first, Satan's goal is to deceive minds, to harden hearts, and to divide people. So that's one that you've got to grasp when it comes to conflict and relationships is that Satan's entire goal and agenda here is to deceive minds, harden hearts, and divide people. 
And today we're really going to unpack the dividing of people and the deceived minds. And then next week, we're going to talk about the hardening of hearts and the anecdotes that Christ provides and that God provides. Because God's goal in all of this, and even when in, in conflict, is to bring about peaceful minds, softened hearts, and united people. So when it comes to conflict, God's goal here for us is to be people uh, with peaceful minds, softened hearts, and united people. And we will not compromise on those. And we see this because in this first notion of divided people is that there is, we, we, we see the problem with this in Matthew 12, 25, where Christ is talking to the Pharisees. And he says, any kingdom divided against itself is doomed. A town or family divided against itself will not stand. So again, the enemy wants to divide because he knows that the people will fall. And Christ came to bring unity into people and to bring this unwavering uh, devotion to one another. And in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, stay alert. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the takeaway here between these two verses is that divided people are easy to devour. Divided people are easy to devour. Because when you're divided, even just in your mind, it says, the scripture tells us to, to be of one mind, but also not to waver or otherwise you end up like the, the waves of the ocean just being tossed about. But unity in spirit and then unity amongst people brings power. It brings uh, a firm foundation. It allows you to stand on the rock rather than on the sand. And so divided people are easy to devour because now they become isolated. They go off and give the silent treatment. They, they go off and start, you know, maybe smoking weed or doing other things to take their mind off their problems. And they become divided in that. And they become easy for the enemy to devour. Because the enemy wants to drive a wedge and divide people. Because when he does that, it ultimately breaks up the unity, the oneness, the wholeness, and keeps us from living for the kingdom of God. And so there's a, a great uh, line that I came across that says that conflict is like fire. It can be used for burning or for shedding light. So that's a really helpful way to think about conflict with people, is that it can be used for burning or it can be used for shedding light. How are we going to engage in conflict? Is it going to be through, through the burning or is it going to be through shedding of light? Because the burning is engaging in painful conflict that further divides people. And this is when people are engaging in, in conflict with the wrong identity, the wrong mindset, the wrong heart posture, and the wrong tools. And we'll get to some tools at the end because there are some practical things that are just helpful that you didn't learn growing up, that you haven't seen modeled, and maybe you have a heart to handle conflict a different way, but all of the old things just come rearing up when the stress confronts you. And so there's a good part of that. And then the shedding of light brings insight and compassion and unity. So when we use conflict for shedding light, it brings about insights about this person, their life. It breeds compassion and unity. And there's a quote from Henry Longfellow, who was a professor in the, the late 1800s, who said that um, if we knew the secret history of even our enemies' lives, we would likely find so much suffering and sorrow that it would disarm all hostility and instead produce compassion. 
So if we knew the secret history, that's where conflict allows you to shed light because it allows you to gain insight into this person's life and why they do what they do and why they say what they say. And you might likely come across stories of family of origin that are, are painful to hear that disarms your hostility in realizing, wow, had I come from that family or that circumstance, I might be saying and doing the same things. Wow. So that's this part of it that we've got to be able to steer clear of. And also, the shedding of light is important that we don't just avoid conflict at all costs. Because sometimes people try to avoid conflict, and ultimately they're falling into the, the, the trap of the enemy because they're suppressing things. And so there's the, the reality that you can die to yourself, you can gain perspective, and you don't need to engage in every little thing. You don't need to say every little thing. And there's certain things you can certainly let go, but there's other times people are saying that they're letting go, but really they're carrying resentment. Yeah. Yeah. And Leslie and Leslie Parrott had a great quote around this. They said that the problem with buried negative feelings is that they have a high resurrection rate. Yep. Amen. So when we say we're forgiving, but we're really suppressing, they're going to come bubbling up back up to the surface. And then also in these other times that we have this kind of pseudo peacekeeping with resentments is when somebody's like, hey, is everything fine? Yeah, it's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Clearly, you're not fine. But you're saying you're fine. So there's the, this element where we're avoiding something healthy that God wants us to engage in here to get to the other side. Because the enemy wants us easily triggered, offended, and slighted, even by the wrong tone. Something that the devil once said is, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. That's not scriptural. Is it, it's not what you said. So they may have said something, it's how you said it. That tone just made me lose some Christ-likeness for the next 48 to 72 hours. But when we don't even realize that the tone was because they were hungry. The tone was because they were tired. The tone was because they were stressed over a work project. The tone had nothing to do with you, and yet you just let it sideline you for three days. Because the enemy wants you to not be able to carry out the things of God. When we get easily triggered and offended by the wrong look or the, the, the lack of a text. It's like, I just wrote you a paragraph, and you wrote K? I'm sorry. You'll be getting the silent treatment for the next week and a half. Because we all know how many times Christ gave the silent treatment, right? Um, so there's so much of this. But be, people that have their identity anchored in Christ are almost impossible to offend. Because their value, worth, and dignity isn't coming from the things that you're saying and the things that you're doing is that people with their, their identity anchored in Christ are almost impossible to offend because unity is a way of thinking that comes from a place of identity. So That's why we started there. Is it, it's, a, it, it's an identity that breeds unity and clarity of thought. So we need to become these lie detectors. So when you're thinking about conflict, and, and again, these will be in the handout that we'll, we'll send to you at the end, but it's this idea of stopping to think about when I'm about to, when I'm feeling misunderstood, when I'm feeling miscommunication, when I'm feeling potential conflict brewing, two questions to ask is, number one, what, is Satan, what might Satan's agenda be for this conflict? What are the things that Satan hopes that I think, feel, say, and do? What would the enemy hope that I think, 
feel, say, and do? And then what's God's agenda for this conflict? Because it could be for shedding light. And so what's God's agenda? What would God hope that I think, feel, say, and do in this conflict? And then you see that these directions from those two different lines of thinking go in very, very different directions. And so that leads us into this idea of deceived minds, that so often we end up with deceived minds. And part of that is in John 8, 44, where we see Christ saying that you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Christ gives us this description of the devil, straight up liar, that lying is Satan's primary weapon against God's children. He just uses lies. And it's used to divide and separate. But also in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we, we understand that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So a lot of the lies aren't just nasty and obvious. A lot of times they're subtle. And in fact, what he says and does sounds good and it sounds reasonable when you're viewing it merely from a human point of view. So you could hear something like, you do you, rather than deny yourself. You do you could sound good in a moment where you're stressed, you're kind of put off to the, to the end, you're being angered by people, and it could sound reasonable because of the things that have come your way. You do you. But Christ says, deny yourself. Could be, treat yourself. Sounds reasonable. But Christ says, pick up your cross. It could be something like, an eye for an eye. Which Christ says, you've heard it been said, that an eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. But I say, it says, follow me and turn the other cheek. So there's these little lies that it's just like when Christ says, he refers to the yeast of the Pharisees. Be be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Because yeast and a little bit of dough permeates the whole thing. And it affects the entire batch. So even just a subtle, slight lie can get into your mind and it can affect your whole mindset. So we have to become these lie detectors because the truth of God's word is our primary weapon against the lies of the enemy. So we have to use God's truth and God's word to be able to counter these different things that we're, say, that we're hearing and we're feeling and we're experiencing because they're contrary to the mind of Christ. And Christ even addresses this with the Pharisees when they're asking him questions and, and he finally comes and says in, in Matthew twenty two twenty nine, he says, your mistake is that you don't understand the scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. So how are you going, what he's saying here is, how are you going to combat the lies of the enemy when you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God? This is why it's so important to be in your word. That's why it's so important to actually understand the scriptures and to be daily reading and consuming the word of God because you're consuming truth and that becomes your weapon, the sword, which is the word of God. Now, it allows you to now catch all the counterfeits. Because when they train uh, different detectives to be able to discern counterfeit bills, 
they don't train them to be able to discern and detect every single way that you can counterfeit a bill because there's thousands of ways to counterfeit it. What they have them do is they have them study the real, genuine $100 bill. And they have them study the real deal so intently and so closely that anything that is a counterfeit comes across their table, they know immediately because they know the real thing. That's why we study and we get the word of God in us so that it's prepared and it's ready so that we can have peaceful minds, which is what God wants us to have. Because in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says that we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. So we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Sometimes that's arguments in our own opinions that we're trying to destroy. We're capturing the rebellious thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. Christ said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So one way that we could view this is that we capture our rebellious thoughts and we make them submit to the truth. So we take the rebellious thoughts and we make them submit to the truth of God's word. So we're capturing these rebellious thoughts. We have an alert mind as we read about in 1 Peter 5 and Ephesians 6. And Dan Muller says it this way. He says that you can tell the difference between the thoughts and desires that come from Adam versus the thoughts and desires that come from God by the fruit that they bear. So when you're noticing and you're catching your thoughts and you're beginning to kind of take notice of all these different thoughts that I'm having about this person or the thoughts that I'm having about this circumstance or issue, what kind of fruit will that bear if I play those out? Bitter fruit or good fruit? So that's when we're taking every thought or rebellious thought captive and making it submit to the truth because we're testing it. And we know that if we hit the pause button and we kind of play this scenario out, if I continue thinking this and saying these kinds of things, if I continue doing these kinds of things, where is the trajectory on this? Where is this emotional velocity going to take me? Versus if I start thinking the things of Christ. If I understand that there's a spiritual element and nature to this conflict that's trying to deceive minds, harden hearts, and divide people, then what might I respond with instead? Because the, the, the reality is, is that both lies and, and truth are empowered by belief. So whatever you believe will be empowered in your life. If you believe lies, they will be empowered in your life. If you believe truth, it will be empowered in your life. But then also, our belief is empowered by action. So we want to empower our belief in the truth of God's word through our action. So we've got truth, we've got belief, and we've got action. And all of those are being corresponded to. Just like in James it says, you know, how can you show me your faith unless you show me your deeds? That faith without good deeds is dead because it lacks the action. How can you say you believe in this truth but not then act that out? That's so key here in being able to discern this and work through this. So what we're going to have you do is uh, we're going to text that amazing number. If you want to take out your phone, 66866, and you're going to text OVERCOME to 66866, and it's going to lead to the final handout and, and part of this message. So text OVERCOME to 66866, and it will send you a link to a document 
then we're going to work through, again, this is now getting to some just practical steps. Now that we've got our identity in place, and we're pursuing our identity in Christ, getting our value, worth, and dignity from God, not from relationships, not from all these other things, which then means we're not easily triggered, we're not easily offended, and then we're being able to, to monitor our thoughts and understand that the enemy is trying to get us to see conflict merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. He's trying to deceive minds, harden hearts, and divide people. But God came to give life and life abundantly, and he came to give us peaceful minds, softened hearts, and unite people. So how do we walk in this? And at the very top of that is a reminder of some of those simple questions that you can ask yourself as you find your getting into misunderstanding, you're feeling that there is conflict brewing, that there is tension brewing in a relationship, whether it's at work or personally, to stop and think, you know, what would Satan's agenda be for this conflict or issue? What would he hope that I think, feel, say, and do? What would God's agenda be for this conflict or issue? What would he hope that I think, feel, say, and do? And then the other element that I found is really, really helpful is to take a position of curiosity rather than certainty. Certainty locks us out of people's stories. Curiosity lets us in. So we want to be curious participants in all of this. And the curiosity is giving people the benefit of the doubt. It's extending mercy and grace along the way. In fact, uh, my, my wife and I, we took a uh, parenting class. And one of the top takeaways that we had was when they said that your child isn't giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. And we're like, are you sure? Because <laughs> from a human point of view, it sure does feel like he's giving us a hard time. They're like, but he's, he's having a hard time. And, and I think this transcends into adults. That they're not giving you a hard time, they're having a hard time. Perhaps it's both. That the result of why they're giving you a hard time is because they're having a hard time. Most people that are having a great time in life are not going around giving people a hard time. It's the same idea that hurt people hurt people. And so then you realize when you come across hurt people, there's a curiosity. Where is this hurt? Where is this pain coming from for them? It's this idea of the, the curiosity that we have one common enemy, not many. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I'll give you one, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for a little bit later. So the three questions then that I mentioned before of am I deceived are they deceived? Are we both deceived? So these are just simple curiosity-related questions as to what is God up to? What might be the enemy up to? How do I let myself into this person's story? Maybe unpack some of the secret history of this person's life that I know nothing about and lets me in. A quick example of that is that uh, when we were in Columbia, Missouri and I was doing the PhD, we became really good friends with uh, several other kind of couples that were there for graduate school. And we had a friend of ours, he was in med school, he's now a, an eye surgeon, but he was very, very stingy, like ridiculously over the top kind of penny pincher. And we'd all go out to dinner and everybody kind of order food and he would kind of sit back and not order anything. And then he would just kind of graze on all the leftovers. You know, things of that dire to smart, smart, well played. <laughs> And, and so it got to like, it was just kind of like a little bit awkward at times or whatever. And we knew kind of hearing stories of just how tight he was with money. And it wasn't until we spent like a whole weekend with them when they had, he had, was doing a residency in, in Utah. And we began to kind of ask him questions. And we finally heard a story from his childhood that we didn't know, which is that when he was five years old and he had two younger sisters, his dad was sent to prison for a white collar crime. 
And his mother kind of took the kids, and she moved them back to Missouri, and they had nothing. And he remembered playing a game of who could find the best trash can in the, in the, or the best food in the trash can. So he remembered having nothing and searching trash cans for food. And now knowing that story, that secret history, it disarms any sort of judgment, and it now unlocks compassion. Wow, that now makes sense. So here are the 10 questions for for curiosity. Is that are they simply doing their best with the wrong identity and limited tools that they have inherited or adopted? Number two, what kind of identity, mindset, heart posture, and tools are they bringing in? And then for me as well, what kind of identity, mindset, heart posture, and tools am I bringing in to this conflict? Number three. How might his or her actions make sense to them? Right. A lot of times, again, you don't have the backstory. You don't have the context. You don't have the, the history. But sometimes people are doing and saying things that actually make sense to them. Yeah. But we just don't have the backstory that clarifies that. Number four, I'm curious about asking the person. I'm curious about why you said this or did this. So, again, just going in with curiosity, not saying it in a, in, you know, but it's just being curious. Number five, I'm curious about why you said or did this that way. Again, it's just exploratory terrain here of dealing with conflict. Number six, what led up to that moment for you? Number seven, what was the trigger for you that sparked what you said or did? And maybe there's, again, there's something there that they can clue you into as to some of the history of what's going on in their their mind and, and why they're acting the way that they do. Number eight, is there a story behind this from your past? Kind of the example that I just gave. But is there a story behind this? Oftentimes, there's always a story. (laughs) But you got to be curious and willing to take the time to hear it. Number nine, what could I have done differently in this moment that would be helpful for you for the future? So we want to change things moving forward. We're not satisfied dealing with conflict the way that we've been handling it. Because it's not been producing good fruit. The way that we've been going about this is producing bitter fruit, resentful fruit, damaged fruit, bruised fruit. But we want to produce good fruit. So how could I play a role in doing something? What would be helpful for you? And then number 10, here's what I could use for you to do differently in a moment like this for the future. So here's what I could use. So there's a reciprocal exchange going on here. And it takes anchored and rooted Christians to lead the way in this. Because very few people were brought up in a family that schooled them in this kind of a communication and this kind of an approach to conflict and misunderstandings. But we want to be able to see things from God's point of view, not from a human point of view. And we got to be able to lead the way. Because we're anchored and rooted, we've got our value, worth, and dignity from God so that we can always be joyful. We can always be thankful in all things and never stop praying. So the reason we're praying and we never cease praising him is because it keeps us in God's point of view. It keeps us wrapped up in the realities of heaven so that we can see then the things of earth from God's perspective and God's point of view. And then we remain grateful because it keeps us anchored and rooted in the right mindset. That even if everything goes crazy in this world and in my life, that my salvation is secured. That my eternity is in heaven. That this life is just a blip on the radar. So that we can be thankful 
in all things, even in these hard circumstances with challenging people. But we realize that they simply just don't know who they are in Christ, that they don't have their worth, value, and dignity locked in. And they need somebody to speak truth and life, have peace and grace, be filled with the, with the Spirit, have the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, love, faithfulness, self-control. What would it look like if we could have a church full of people that were just simply walking in that? And you're lie detecting. Every time I step out of any of those things, I know that I'm falling into Satan's dangerous trap and I need to get back and get rooted and, and get my mind right. Or maybe I need to call a friend and get them on the phone and help them process and keep me seeing things from God's point of view and bring me back in check so that I can walk by truth. And when I start to believe some of the lies and I get all worked up and I want to say this or do that, I hit the pause button and I get prayed up. Maybe I sleep on it, go eat some in and out and then life is better. And then I realize like, wow, I was about to lose it on that fool over that. I was about to fall short of the glory of God because of that. Like that happens so much in people's marriages, in their work relationships, in lines at Home Depot, like you name it. So this is the kind of life that we can have that Christ died for so that we could be able to walk out the things of earth because the enemy wants you so triggered and easily offended and hurt and thrown all over the place because then you're never able to walk out the things of God. And we heard that amazing testimony that if he's just wrapped up in himself, thinking about his work, thinking about all the stressors, thinking about all the you know, obnoxious people that he's going to have to go deal with throughout the next eight hours of his workday, he doesn't even see that homeless person. He doesn't even notice or take time to read their sign. And then he for sure doesn't pull over and engage and pray and see a miracle happen. That's exactly what the enemy wants. But what happened is exactly what Christ wants. And the more that we can do that and lead the way for others, the more powerful we'll be. And the more we'll see the kingdom of God being expanded. And the more we'll see the, the kingdom of darkness crushed. Yeah. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm going to say a prayer for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you, God, for your truth. Oh, Lord, that we could just get a glimpse of your glory. Just like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. The second he sees you in all, his, all your glory... The first thing out of his mouth is, for I am doomed from a man of unclean lips. That when we go and we view ourselves in comparison to all the people around us, we can come out looking okay. But when we compare ourselves to the real deal, to the glory of God, we realize how, fall, how, how fallen short we are. Lord, that you would just give us a revelation that your glory is what you have in store for us. That when you see us, you see holy. You want us to be filled and walking in your glory. To be that bright light in people's day. To be able to walk the things out that Christ has put on our heart to do. To be, be, see people healed and transformed. And come to know their creator. Be reconciled. That we would be peacemakers. Yeah. That we would bring peace between the lost sons and daughters and their heavenly father. The Lord, there are prodigal sons and daughters out there right now that we are gonna cross paths with this week that need to experience open arms. They need to experience somebody that has their head up and the ability to see them for who they are, 
to simply say hello and ask for their name, to feel like they are being treated as a human being and not just a means to an end or as an object, but we can see them the way that you see them with not just a body, but a spirit and a soul. Lord, give us the courage, the faithfulness, and the endurance to be able to walk out the truth of your word through the power of your testimony. We pray for this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.